We've all seen leadership go badly, and each one of us have tendencies that can get in the way of leading well. In this episode, the most common ways leaders get derailed and how we can interrupt those patterns to do better. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 596. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. We have all seen it happen where we've seen leaders who have derailed. Uh, Maybe some of us have run into that at times, too. We've derailed in our own leadership. It is a challenge that almost every leader faces. How can we continue to stay focused on true north, as our guest today will challenge us to do? And how do we avoid the temptations that tend to derail many leaders? I'm so glad to welcome our guest expert today. Is going to help us to look at what are the things that we should watch out for? What are our own tendencies? And how do we stay aimed at True North. I'm so glad to welcome back to the show, Bill George. Bill is an executive fellow at Harvard Business School, where he has taught leadership since 2004. He's the author of four best-selling books, Authentic Leadership, True North, Discover Your True North, and Seven Lessons for Leading in Crisis. He was the chair and CEO of Medtronic, the world's leading medical technology company. Under Bill's leadership, Medtronic's market cap grew from $1.1 billion to $60 billion, averaging 35% a year. He has served as a director of Goldman Sachs, ExxonMobil, Novartis, Target, the Mayo Clinic, and the World Economic Forum USA. He has been named as one of the top 25 business leaders of the past 25 years by PBS, Executive of the Year by Academy of Management, and Director of the Year by the National Association of Corporate Directors. He is the author with Zach Clayton of True North, Leading Authentically in Today's Workplace, the Emerging Leader Edition. Bill, what a pleasure to have you back on the show. Good to be with you, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. As I was reading through the book and reflecting on your work and then thinking about my own career and so many of the leaders I work with, I just kept thinking about how we can all derail any one of us and run into the challenges that you feature in the book. And I was struck especially by something you wrote in one of the chapters about your own experience. You write, I was the kid who tried too hard to get ahead be recognized, and be loved by others. And then in my career, I was young, aggressive, and brash in dealing with our corporate bosses. Clearly, you did okay (laughs) since then. And I'm curious, like when you look back in time, what kept you from derailing? I think the most important thing for me was having a group of people around me who were truth tellers that helped me stay on course when I started to go off course, starting with my wife, Penny, who's been my best counselor. She's there to uh, criticize me. I'm trying to go the wrong way and also pick me up when I get down. And I've got a men's support group. We've been meeting together for 45 years, believe it or not, every Wednesday morning from 7.15 to 8.30. And having these guys together have been extremely helpful to me. So having people around you, mentors, uh, uh, I had some of my members, mentors that passed away. So I have new mentors like Nit Nori, the former dean of Harvard Business School, who's much younger than I am, David Gergen, who's a colleague about the same age, and these mentors, Warren Bennis, who was one of those who passed away, extremely helpful to me. 
one of the points that you make in the book is that it, it's important for leaders to know our shadow sides, the things that pull us away from true north. What's important about knowing what the shadow is for each one of us? I was in denial about having a shadow side for a long time and having blind spots, but that's where you can really get trapped. For example, my father got pushed aside by very powerful people, and I didn't want to deal with them. And I had a boss at Honeywell who would bring out the worst in me by kind of uh, making outrageous statements and watching watching me overreact because I was determined not to let him manipulate me. So part of my shadow side was being wary about very powerful people and kind of putting on the army, but I wasn't my normal relaxed self. What is it that got you to a place where that was no longer denial, but you started recognizing there was a different way to look at it? Yeah, that's been very important to me. Part of it was developing a meditation practice so I could be more introspective and think about myself. Part of it was separating myself from some goals my father had set for me about running a really large company. And I had to overcome that ego trip and realize it wasn't important to be CEO of a really large. I was on my way to that at Honeywell, and I chose to, uh, to leave because that's what I want to do with my life. But I had to give up the idea of running a large company. Of course, then Medtronic that I joined, which was a mid-sized company, went became a large company. At the time I joined, it was about $750 million a day. It's about $32 billion. So it became a large company. But I didn't anticipate that when I did. But I had to give up some of those kind of external symbols of success. Why was that important? I had to think through. Success is not determined by the revenues you have under you or the stock price or, you know, how much notoriety you get from various people. Those things are very fleeting. When you came to that realization, what's one thing that you realized was part of your thinking then that hadn't been before? I had to follow my heart, which is what, you know, if, if you listen to your heart, you go the right way. But I was thinking too much about uh, titles and things like that. And uh, once I could set that aside and say, what's really important? Where where is my passion? What do I really want to do with my life? What's my deeper purpose here? What am I trying to do? And uh, then have the courage to make the call and go do it. And uh, that was the best thing that ever happened to me when I said, okay, I'm, I, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. I don't feel excited about the business. I went to Medtronic and I found a total congruence there with my purpose and values and the company's mission and uh, its values. And also with the people who were really passionate about restoring people to full life and health. So it wasn't just about making 391 a share. They were really cared about helping individual people. And that's where I let my heart flow and I became a much better leader as a result, I believe. Isn't it so interesting how when the focus for you went away from the titles, the position, whatever, and you really focused on the heart, the values, then all the other things eventually came along, even though you had decided, well, that wasn't that important. But all of a sudden, you know, what, what an incredible uh, what incredible work that you did. And then the organization grew as a result, too. Well, I was fortunate and uh, had that opportunity. Sometimes it didn't come around like it did. But I think today leaders have to lead with their hearts, not just their heads. And so once I let go to a place where I could be open with my feelings and my heart, if you will, and uh, have real compassion for our customers and empathy for our employees. I, as I said, I think I became a better leader. So many of us have good intentions, and yet the realities of the day do sometimes pull us off the tracks that we want to stay on. 
And you've identified some key areas of archetypes that you tend to see that derail leaders. And I think it's helpful for us to look at those. And 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 I think most of us probably fall into one of these, or at least the tendency for one of them, if not more. And one of them that you identify is what you call the imposters. You say that the imposters are the ultimate political animals, adept at figuring out who their competitors are, and then eliminating them one by one. They have little appetite for self-reflection or developing self-awareness. You know, we hear a lot about imposter syndrome, perhaps the opposite of this. What's an indicator for you that a leader is drifting, maybe even derailing, into this imposter? When they try to fake it to make it, try to pretend to be something different than they are, they dress a certain way, they look a certain way, but they aren't real. You don't feel like you're dealing with the real person. And they feel like they have to play a role, put on a mask. And I tell you today, younger leaders are not going to follow that kind of person. They're just not going to want to work with them. So imposters are almost impossible to work for because you have to continue to stroke their ego because they're so insecure that they're really not. They think they're not good enough for the role, but they try to pretend like they are. When you have run across the imposters in your career, what, if anything, has helped them? to notice that in themselves? Because I think that the imposter is probably the last one to see it most of the time. When people do see it, what helps? Well, they are indeed the last ones to see it. You hold a mirror up to them, but a lot of times people don't want to look in the mirror. They don't want to see that person in the mirror. And I try to advise mentees do that and think about how you're coming across. In fact, maybe even look at a video yourself in a meeting and you see how you come across to people and say, is that the kind of leader you want to follow? Are you the kind of leader that you want to follow? And the answer at some right, wake up and realize no. And some of them don't hear it for a while. They have to keep plunging in until they, as I say, hit the wall. They hit that place where it's not going to work out and they either lose their job or they have to quit or something happens that doesn't go their way. Self-awareness is the antidote to this. And I, I love the suggestion you make in this chapter of the book of writing out a dilemma you're facing and then chronicling the least generous interpretation of your actions, like looking at it from the perspective of, if I was someone who was really uh, looking at this cynically, how would I frame it? That can be a helpful starting point for developing a little bit of that self-awareness. Yeah, people uh, today, either the media or individual employees, are going to call you out on that. And if you're faking it at all, they're they're going to pick up on it. So I think develop self-awareness, the most important tool I would recommend to people, Dave, is that you have an introspective practice. For me, mine is meditation. I've been meditating for 45 years. But I think having a practice, it could be mindfulness, it could be going for a long walk, could be just reflecting in a garden, could be talking to a loved one, but something where you put away all the electronics and you really think, how did I show up today? Did I feel fulfilled? Was I the kind of leader I wanted to be? And the second thing you can do is have truth tellers around you who are going to give you honest feedback. They're going to tell you how you're showing up. And I remember that happened to me once at Medtronic where I thought I'd done really well in a meeting and uh, I had human resources came to me and said, how do you think the meeting went? I said, it went great. She said, well, three of the people back in their office are just mad as can be at you because you, uh, you showed off, you showed early in the meeting where you wanted to go and you just kind of drove to that conclusion. And so I knew I had some makeup work to do, some corrective action. The power of truth tellers. Um, so 
important for leaders. And one of the other archetypes is loners. And you identify that one of the things that loners can do is to build trusted relationships and surround themselves with truth tellers. I should probably say what the loners are first. You you write, loners avoid forming close relationships, seeking out mentors, or creating support networks. They believe they can make it on their own. And you suggest that loners do surround themselves with truth tellers. You had that in that HR professional, but I think a lot of leaders don't have that person. How do you find that kind of a person? Well, I think, first of all, you need a support team. I think it starts with having someone in your life with whom you can say, share everything. With me, that person is my wife, Penny, with whom I share everything. And I have a men's group that I mentioned before. But then I think having mentors that will tell you, Bill, you're not coming across well here. And then having people in your, on your team that will not be afraid of uh, telling you where you're going wrong. Now, I, I had several people like that at Medtronic. They were not shy about telling me when I was getting off base. Do you recall what you did or didn't do early on with those relationships at Medtronic? Because you, of course, were CEO. People were speaking truth to power in that case. What, if anything, did you do that helped to create that space where they could say what they needed to say? Every performance review I ever ever had, I always asked people, give me feedback first. So I would openly solicit feedback. And I would share with people, hey, I, I think that didn't go well. Can you help? And when you ask people, I made this mistake, you know, and I think there's a great power in admitting your vulnerabilities and your mistakes. I really don't know about this. Can you help me? Uh, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? And it's pretty hard to say no to someone who's willing to do that. But a lot of leaders in these older generation are afraid to be vulnerable. They're afraid to show their weaknesses. And I think that's a huge mistake. Because when you're, as a leader, when you're open and honest with people, they want to support you. They want to help. When you ask them for help, they'll give you help. Uh, They just want to know that you're sincere about it. Yeah. The big thing I'm hearing there is being willing to say, I don't know. And and, and then the other piece, too, I'm thinking about, like, what would the person be experiencing who's falling into this trap a bit of being a bit of a loner? And one of the things I'm hearing from you is if you're not hearing people challenge you, if there's not people in your professional life, in your personal life, who are pushing back on you, who are challenging you, that maybe this is a place to look at a little bit and to seek out more of that and be more proactive, like you just said. I think you've got to. But a lot of loners are insecure enough, and then they get into a problem. They say, well, I'll just have to figure this out for myself. Well, I can tell you in business today, or in any organization today, the problems are so complex, you can't figure it out for yourself. You need to have people around from different perspectives, different insights, and hear all the points of view. Loners don't do that. They go off in their own their office, say, I'll think this through. A lot of times they never come out. It doesn't end well because they're off kind of in their own world and they get entrapped with their own psychological difficulties. And I think they'd be far better off to listen to people and get people around them that can uh, share with them. Uh, But it's sad when I see that happening. It it is a form of insecurity. And we should point out, and you and Zach make this point in the book, there is a distinction between being a loner and being an introvert. What's that distinction? Well, a lot of the best leaders are introverts, I can assure you, because they're very reflective, thoughtful, they're very strategic. And so I don't equate that at all 
Uh, I don't talking about the person has, in fact, the person has very bombastic and tries to be all powerful, maybe a loner. Dick folded layman was like that, and he wouldn't listen to anyone. And consequently, the company went out of business and caused the financial meltdown. So you get people like that that just don't want to listen to anyone because of their own insecurity. And so you're always better off to build a team. No one can run an organization day without a strong team around them. One of the other archetypes is the rationalizers. Uh, You say that the rationalizers, when things don't go their way, they blame external forces or subordinates. Masters of denial, they rarely take responsibility themselves. You feature a number of leaders in the book, and one of them is someone that was a friend, uh, Rajat Gupta, and talk about what happened with him. What went wrong? Rajat and I served on three boards together, most notably Goldman Sachs, when he engaged in insider trading. Rajat was one of the great leaders of our time, but he had a dark side. And he wanted more money. It was worth $120 million at 60, but he wanted to be a billionaire. And so he was doing things, secret things behind uh, the veil, so to speak, and working with these inside traders to try to become a billionaire. And he got entrapped by a very clever one who also went to jail. But Rajat today, even today, coming out of two years, I think we would all like to forgive him. We would forgive him because he served his time. But he's still trying to say, well, I didn't really do it. I didn't do this. I didn't do that, even though in a court of law, 12 men and women found him guilty unanimously. And that's uh, that's the definitive statement. And uh, yet he's still trying to rationalize away his mistakes. Hey, admit your mistakes. Dave, I'm sorry I did this. I apologize. I'll pay the price. I made a mistake. And then people will forgive you. And uh, I think it's sad. On people, Mark Zuckerberg's another one. He rationalizes everything. Oh, I can't help it. We got all these people coming on my site. What can I do? The fact that they're, you know, corrupting a site or they're doing these awful things. Hey, he never took control. You mentioned the antidote to rationalization is having really clear values. What's a value that's worked for you? Well, I think integrity, telling the truth at all times. And see, telling, having integrity is not the absence of lying. It's uh, knowing the whole story. I used to say to people at Medtronic, I need to know the whole story. Then we'll get the best people in the company around the table, or we'll bring in people from the outside to help solve this problem. But until we put the truth out there, I don't believe in alternate facts and a post-truth world. I think we have to share the truth and as we know it, and then debate what we believe and what we're going to do about that. So that, I think, is essential for any leader, and that is core to integrity. And if you don't operate with integrity, why would I trust you? Why would anyone trust me if I don't? If I don't tell them the truth, why would they trust me? And I think a lot of leaders thought they could get away with spinning things to their employees. It's better than it seems or, you know, manipulating the numbers behind the scenes and not really telling people the truth, either the shareholders or their own employees or even their customers. You warn us also about the glory seekers. Uh, You say they're the leaders that are motivated by the world's acclaim. I was thinking about the glory seekers, Bill, and I think these are probably the most visible because, of course, they are seeking the approval. They are seeking the recognition from others. So I think we all know someone who does this a bit. Some of that's healthy, right? Like wanting to be recognized and receive awards and recognition. When does it become problematic? When it controls you. When that recognition becomes the driving force. 
And you can never get enough. You get recognition for this, then you want it for that. You want to have a nice write-up in, in the newspaper, and then you need more. You need more, more, more. And it's never ending. So you got to be grounded inside yourself. Know who you are. You don't need the glory. You don't need to have the, when you sell yourself to the adulation of the masses, that's when you know you're in trouble. I mean, Jeff Bezos now, instead of giving his money away like his ex-wife is, he's got a $500 million yacht. Think of how many people could go to college for that $500 million. I think we figured out if you wanted to go to a Votech school uh, or a modest uh, community college, you could uh, have 125,000 person years going to college if he didn't have a yacht. But he is looking for glory and looking for be a hero. What helps people to guard against that a bit? Well, the antidote to being a glory seeker is to be grounded in your purpose and your values. That's that's what you have to do to make sure that doesn't happen. And to find that you have deep meaning in your work that goes beyond any recognition for you. It's about your team. But I feel like at Medtronic, I'll tell you, we measured ourselves in the following way. We measured ourselves not by the stock price, but by how many seconds it would take for another person to be healed by Medtronic. When I went there, it was 100 seconds. When I left, it was seven seconds. Mm-hmm. Today, it's two per second. So you can see the, how many more people Medtronic is healing today. And I think that was a very powerful metric that every employee in the company could relate to, much more than they could the stock price or the earnings per share. So having where you find that intrinsic meeting in your work. And then you don't get caught up in uh, seeking, oh, we're the greatest ever, we're the greatest company ever. That's not important. It's what kind of good are you doing for other people? The final archetype is the shooting stars. You say they build shallow foundations and keep moving to the next thing. You mentioned the founder of Uber as an example of this. I was thinking about this archetype and you know the continual movement going on to the next thing. And I know that some folks in their careers stay somewhere, stay in a role, stay in an organization for two or three years or less, and then they move on and they move on very consistently. And I'm wondering, like, where's the distinction between kind of moving on, moving roles, moving organizations consistently and falling into the trap of the shooting star? Well, you can't move on just because things aren't going your way. Sometimes you have to say, hey. I got us in this problem. We got to get out of it. We're going to work our way through this and have that tenacity. And I think a lot of times shooting stars don't have that. They just want to look good. They want to be, as you say, the star outside and some of that star falls. So they uh, they keep pushing, pushing, pushing to try to push to look better. And they move from A to B to C to D, sometimes right within their own companies. They want a job change every time things are going well and they leave a trail of destruction behind them. So I'm very wary of this architect. And a lot of young people can fall into that. They still have the heroes complex, and they're worried about trying to look really good to other people. So I think, again, you have to have that grounding inside yourself and not trying to be good, look, look good externally. And, but don't make that quick move every time things go wrong. I've seen people like that, and they wind up 50 years old, and they've, had, they've worked for 10 different companies. And it always ends the same way. They get a little pressure, they move on. And uh, they never have the tenacity to stay with something too thick and thin. You mentor so many leaders. When you are working with a leader, maybe it is a younger leader, and you see a bit of this happening for them, what is it that they see or recognize 
that interrupts that pattern just a bit? Well, they don't always accept the counter advice. And you try to give it to them. You try to give stories from your own life about how I you know, try so you can relate to them. I almost fell into that trap or I did fall into it. Uh, be wary of this. And uh, hopefully they'll listen and wake up. Sometimes they don't hear it the first time. Sometimes it takes three or four times or maybe it takes a bad experience. Some people never learn from it. And uh, so I think it, it varies very much how open is that individual to growing and learning. Sachin Adele at Microsoft says, we don't want to be know-it-alls. We want to be learn-it-alls. How open are they learning about themselves? If you're not constantly growing, I feel like I've been around a long time. I'm continuing to grow every day. And I learn by listening to all the people I work with. I learn by listening to you and the questions you ask. So I think we're constantly learning. And I think that's the antidote to falling into a lot of these traps to think I'm better than I am and to admit your mistake and to be who you are and not try to be an imposter. Mm. Yeah, part of what I'm hearing there is if I'm that person, maybe I'm that younger leader and I'm hearing the same thing several times, maybe from a number of people, that that's maybe, it doesn't mean you're a shooting star, but it's just, it's an indicator that maybe that's something to look at a little bit. Maybe that's something to lean in a little bit more on that challenge and commit to the struggle that you see in front of you versus, okay, how do I, how do I move on to something else? Mm-hmm. Bingo. And again, it's all this is looking inside yourself and knowing who you are. And it all comes from that grounding. That's why I say to leaders, before you can go out and lead other people, you have to lead yourself. And everything we've been talking about, Dave, has to do with the hardest person you ever have to lead is yourself because I haven't really grounded myself and now I'm out leading other people. No, no, you have to go through the hard work first, understanding who you are, what's important to you. Where do you find real satisfaction and fulfillment in your life? That's your true north. But you can get pulled off, as we see with these leaders from by, who started out following your true north and got pulled off course because they didn't stay grounded or they let these various shadow sides or these other issues get them off course. I mentioned at the top of the conversation that you know we all have some of these tendencies in us, and certainly I see some in myself uh, in the work I do. And I, I love the invitation that you make to project forward a decade and assume the worst that you've derailed in some sort of major way and envision how you could lose your way. When you look forward, Bill, and you look at these archetypes, what's the one that's most challenging for you that you continue to need to guard against? Not getting caught up in other people's positive feedback, uh, what I call the adulation of people, or getting caught up in external metrics. In my case, I'm writing books, how many people are reading the book? I can't get too caught up in that or any kind of titles or awards or recognition. In the end of the day, those things don't matter. What really matters is the people who know you well, how they feel about you, and frankly, how you feel about them. It's that shared caring that I think people are looking for today. Certainly, I am. And that's much more important than any kind of how much money am I worth? What kind of power did I have at Medtronic? What kind of recognition or fame did I get, you know, or how many best-selling books I have? That's really not what life's all about. But it's very easy to get caught up in these things. Mm, indeed. Thank you for for sharing that. I was As I was reflecting on these five, uh, the loners one is the one that leapt out at me, that I struggled with that very early in my career for a long time, made a whole bunch of mistakes early on 
that I regret today that I learned a lot from, but I would have I would have sidestepped a number of them if I had had closer relationships, if I had had mentors, if I had surrounded myself with truth tellers and had and really invited that kind of conversation more. It would have certainly accelerated my career early on because I, I did not start strong and and being a loner was a was a part of why it slowed me down early on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think anyone who thinks they don't aren't vulnerable to any of these archetypes is really fooling themselves because I've seen people in extremely high level positions get caught up and you try to tell them and maybe too late they may be too high on themselves to listen to other people. It's good that in your case. Or in my case, we both started early making mistakes that yeah. we could learn and could grow beyond that. And so we don't try to make the same mistake twice. But it was important to do it early in the career. But that's where these shooting stars bother me because they really don't take time to be introspective and, and learn about themselves. Yeah, well, I appreciate that invitation. Um, we're all susceptible to this. And I, I I hope that folks will take a look at this model. And of course, so much of the book is built around this. We've talked about the five archetypes, but then more importantly, what do you do with each one? And that's really what the book is built around. And so if this is something that is piquing your interest of thinking, okay, I see this tendency in myself a bit, what do I do to guard against that? What's the antidote? What are the things I start thinking about, the relationships I start building, the conversations I start having? I think that that is a really wonderful point for, for all of us to do in our careers. Bill, I have one, uh, I have one final question for you. you know, as, I was, as I was thinking about your work, all the books you've written, all the work you've done, you've worked with so many different leaders, especially in recent years, in coaching and mentoring. Going through read, writing this most recent book, Leaders are learning, as you say, they're they're changing their minds. What's one thing that you've changed your mind on in the last year or two? Hmm. Good, good question. I think one thing that uh, I've changed my mind on in talking to all these leaders is I feel for a long time I was trying to change the baby boomers, and a lot of them didn't want to be changed. It was kind of the me generation. That now we need new leaders that are really in tune with younger employees and younger leaders in organizations. And it really is time to have a massive change in, in organizations that some people unfortunately get to the point where they're not going to change. And then it's just time to move to new people. And I reluctantly come to that conclusion. But with this book, I'm targeting straight at the emerging leaders saying, here's what you need to do to become a great leader. And I hope they're listening. Because I think the uh, younger generations, the Gen Xers and Millennials, I don't know as much about the Gen Zs, are going to be a great generation. It's what I call the we generation because they bring people together. And uh, I think they can help us. And I think it's time in our society to move to these younger leaders in all walks of life. I don't speak to political uh, elected leaders here, but I speak to people in every other walk of life. And I think we need to open the door and let them step up. I had that opportunity at 27. I think now is the time to do that. Bill George is the author with Zach Clayton of True North, Leading Authentically in Today's Workplace, the Emerging Leader Edition. Bill, thank you so much for your leadership and your work and sharing your time with us. Thank you, Dave. It's a privilege to be on with you.
If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them was my last conversation with Bill, episode 225, Discover Your True North. In that conversation, Bill and I looked at the other side of this dialogue. What can you do as a leader proactively in order to illuminate what True North looks like for you and to be moving there proactively? Episode 225, a great compliment to this conversation. Also a great compliment to this conversation is episode 479, Leadership Lies We Tell Ourselves. Emily Leathers was my guest on that episode. Emily is a talented coach and alum of our academy. And in that conversation, Emily and I looked at what are the things we tend to tell ourselves that just aren't true. So many of you reached out after that episode aired and said, yeah, I hear that in myself. I'm catching some of those errors as well. Episode 479 for that. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 588, How to Help Your Manager Shine. David Gergen was my guest on that episode, former presidential advisor, also one of Bill's colleagues at Harvard. And I'm thinking about David because David wrote the foreword for this new book from Bill. A great compliment to this conversation as well. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. One of the reasons I'm always inviting you to set up your free membership is so that you can find what is most relevant to you right now inside of our episode library. I've been airing episodes since 2011 on all kinds of topics on leadership, and one of those topic areas that this episode's going to be filed under is personal leadership. It really does begin with us if we want to lead well. Not because we're focused only on us, but because we need to lead by example. Personal leadership is so critical of being able to lead effectively. It means that, first of all, we need to lead ourselves first. So many episodes and conversations we've had on personal leadership over the years, and you can find all of them inside of the free membership. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. You'll see all the topic areas in the episode library. Personal leadership is one of the many dozens of topic areas, plus all of the other benefits to free membership, my personal library, the weekly leadership guide that comes to you on email, and many other resources. All of it you can find at coachingforleaders.com. Next Monday, I'm glad to welcome Megan Rates to the show. She's going to be helping us to speak truth to power and how we can do that better, but also how we can help others speak truth to power, an important competency for leaders. Join me for that conversation with Megan next week, and we'll see you back then.